As I mentioned, we're doing a study on Sunday mornings, and it's chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph through the book of Acts. As we go into Acts, there's going to be things happening that are going to raise questions. The reason being is Acts is a transitional book from the Gospels or the Old Testament era into what we call the church age, the New Testament. Some things are going to be changing uh, as you go through the book of Acts. And then as you go through some of the things that happened in the early book of Acts, by the time the epistles are being written, things are going to be adjusted for the use in the local church. One of those being the gift of tongues. Uh, as you have illustrated in the very beginning of the book of Acts, the disciples speak, oh, it sounds like as a group setting, but later on they're told that when they gather in a worship service and tongues are still valid at that time of an era, they're supposed to not be more than two or three they're supposed to be done in uh, with a translator there and, and identified ahead of time. They're to be done in order, not all at one time. So even within the book of Acts, there's going to be changing. There's going to be explanation. And so that happens with other things that raise questions that people read in the book of Acts and they say, well, it happened then, it's going to happen today. Or because it happened there, why isn't it happening today? We talked about one of those very common issues about healing and who has the ability to heal and is the gift of healing functional. And we've talked about that. We're going to get into the gift of tongues in, uh, in about four weeks. Tonight and next week I want to be dealing with an issue that is very, very important but keeps on showing up in the book of Acts. It's the filling of the Spirit. It's a phrase that is used throughout the book of Acts. We talked about in chapter 2, we looked at it and it says in chapter 2 that the peoples were baptized in the Spirit. And we explained some of this we'll rehearse it again next week but it says when the day of Pentecost was fully come suddenly there came sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind it filled the house where they were sitting there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon them and they were filled with the spirit but if you go back to chapter 1 Jesus had made this comment to them when he is instructing he said in verse 4 being assembled together with them he commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the father which he said, you have heard of me for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And then as he concluded that statement, verse uh, 1, chapter 8, he says, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now in Acts chapter 2, we read about the Holy Spirit coming upon them, and they were also filled with the Spirit. So there's using multiple different terms to describe an event, and we understand what's happening when we compare other scriptures. But if you just look at it and not look at all the passages, it's confusing. It creates questions. You know, and you look at it and say, wait a minute, when the Holy Spirit first came, as was promised, as predicted, they were, it was accompanied by supernatural signs. There was the sound of the wind. There was the idea of the tongues of fire that descended. There was the ability to speak in tongues. And yet, further on, as I already pointed out, they're filled with the Spirit. This isn't the only time it uses the phrase they were filled with the Spirit, but the first time they use it in Acts. You read as we were talking already last week in chapter 4, if you flip there. Peter is standing before the Sanhedrin. A trial is taking place because they healed a man. And it says that as Peter was facing the Sanhedrin, we read in chapter 4, verse 8, that it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, he says unto them, and he gives them an answer. 
But then we read in chapter 4 where we were this morning that they're praying together. And when they prayed together, they said, Lord, behold their threatenings. Behold what's happening to us. Grant unto us that we have boldness to speak your word. We read in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God. And then we read a little bit further. We're going to read it in the next couple weeks that it talks about Stephen being full of the Holy Spirit. We're going to read about Paul being told, receive your sight and be filled with the Spirit. We're going to read in chapter 13 where Saul again, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is filled with the Spirit. And he says to Elimus, he says, set your eyes upon me. And he makes comments to him. And we're going to read as well in chapter 13 that the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so we look at these different phrases and people examine them and see them. And there's a myriad of questions that start arising right away. The questions are coming you know, in an abundant fashion. Is the baptism and the filling of the Spirit the same thing? The questions come that if not, then what's the difference? The question comes that do they happen at the same time? The question arises do all Christians have the baptism or do some? Do all Christians have the filling of the Spirit or do some? And then what takes place when there's the baptism of the Spirit? When there's the filling of the Spirit? Do they automatically, and this is propagated by a lot of folk, automatically they're going to be able to speak in tongues. And everybody should be able to speak in tongues if they're filled in the Spirit. And is that true? What are some of the benefits of being filled with the Spirit? You know, when it does happen, does it happen today? And there's all these types of questions that I think are worthwhile for us to pause. And a lot of you can answer these questions better than I can. But for the, some of us who still need to go back and say, let me set it straight. Let's set it straight over the next couple of weeks. Let's talk a little bit more about this filling of the Spirit and what it is. And when we, when we start talking about for the discussion this evening, let's make two observations, or three observations, that we've already seen in Scripture. By just sharing what we just shared with you, it is obvious that the filling of the Spirit happened in the book of Acts. It happened more than once. And it happened to some people more than one time. Peter, what we just read the passages, three different occasions, Peter's filled with the Spirit. We read already about Paul on two different occasions was filled with the Spirit. We read about the church as a whole on two different occasions, they were filled with the Spirit. And so the question becomes, as you go through it, is does the filling of the Spirit happen more than one time? The answer is yes. Can it happen to the same individual more than one time? Yes. We've already seen that. What we do notice is that it is a very important ministry of the Spirit in the lives of people in the church era. Well, if it was important in their lives, then what's the conclusion for us? It should be important to us as well and to the ministry of the church. As well as you go through the, the, uh, the epistles that follow and complement the book of Acts, you're going to read in Ephesians chapter 5. And if you hold your finger here in Acts and just flip over to Ephesians 5, in Ephesians 5, this is the one occasion where in the New Testament they explain a little bit more about the filling of the Spirit. It's not a lot, but there's enough there that he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, "...be not drunk with wine wherein is excess." A lot of people look at that and they say, well, then it's, it's saying, just don't get overly drunk. That's not what the verse is saying. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is what? You might have another translation. 
Okay, there's shame, there's debauchery. That's what he's talking about, is in drunkenness you do foolish things. And he says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but rather be filled with the Spirit. And so he's commanding this. And so you look at the passage, and this is very, very, very important. For the New Testament believers, he is saying, all of you, every one of the believers in the church of, of Ephesus, all of you need to be filled more than one time. You need to be filled on a constant daily basis with the Spirit of God. So it's commanded in this text of all Christians to be sensitive to this filling of the Spirit on a regular daily basis, if not more than even daily, hourly. And so we look at that and we say, now wait a minute, there's a lot of information here that we need to understand, that we need to then apply when it comes to the filling of the Spirit. So what I want to do is I want to start this evening just to get, get launching on this idea of the filling of the Spirit. And I want to start in the Old Testament and just explain some things about the Old Testament filling of the Spirit. Because the Word will show up in the Old Testament. It shows up several times about individuals upon, it says, the Spirit of God came upon them. It says that they were clothed in the Spirit. It says that they were filled with the Spirit. It says that they were full of the Holy Spirit. Those terms are, seem to be used in a synonymous fashion explaining the same thing, that there was a, min, uh, a ministry of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit came upon individuals at certain times. If we go through the Old Testament, and again, if, if I were to look, have you look up every single passage, it's going to take us all evening. So I'm going to give you the references. You study them out to examine whether the things I'm saying is true or false. Okay? Many different people in the Old Testament, they experience the filling of the Spirit. You will find at times there are individuals like the patriarchs, the leaders of Israel, that they were filled with the Spirit. We read about that happening where Pharaoh says that who can find a man like this upon whom the Spirit of God is in him or upon him. We have the idea of Moses, that the Spirit came upon Moses, that he was filled with the Spirit. And then the Spirit even says to Moses, I want to take some of that same Spirit and put it upon others that they can assist you. We have that happening with the 70 elders, that they're getting the Spirit of God coming upon them, being filled with the Spirit. Joshua, it says the Spirit came upon him. It says the Spirit filled him on another occasion. Joshua had the Spirit of God upon him. You have certain people who were doing certain specific jobs when they were building the tabernacle, when they uh, launch into the work of the temple. We read about some people like Bezalel who when he was making some of the furniture it says that the Spirit of God came upon him so that he could do the job even in a better sense. You have some of the judges, not all of them, but some of the judges it specifically says that the Spirit of God came upon them. You have Othniel, you have Gideon, you have Jephthah, that specific statements about the Spirit upon them or filling them. Then you have Samson. I, I want to pause because I want to come back to this, but I want you to register it right now. How would you describe Samson as a believer? Carnal? Okay. Was he consistently godly? This is a really important thought. That's why I'm bringing it up now. Was he, uh, was he a man given to lust? Yeah. Did that keep on coming up in his life? Yeah, okay. And not only was he filled with the Spirit, which is ironic that this man, who was, we, would, we would agree that's a carnal guy, he had the Spirit of God come upon him. But also he had the Spirit of God leave him. 
And there's a comment that says that when the Spirit of God left him, he, in the King James, he wist not. Do you remember the rest of it? That the Spirit had left. He He didn't even understand or recognize the Spirit left me. And he went out, as he did in four times, to fight the Philistines, but he had no power. The Spirit of God was off of him at that moment. We're going to come back to that, so just register those thoughts. Some of the kings, the first two kings of Israel, it is stated specifically that the Spirit came upon them. Okay, I'm going to ask you again. First king of Israel is Saul. Okay, was Saul, did he display some godly moments? Yes. Was he consistently godly? No. Was he nuts at a certain time in his life? Yeah. Okay. And yet the Spirit of God came upon him at moments, but later on, he loses the Spirit, okay, that it comes off of him. And then the Spirit anoints David to be the king. And we would describe David as godly or ungodly. He, he's the apple of God's eye, one of the godly people. Did he, was, he, was he perfect? No, no. And yet the Spirit of God, oops, I wanted to make this comment, excuse me, hit the button wrong. He prays in the book of Psalms when he is repenting of his sin with Bathsheba, he prays what prayer about the Spirit? Take not thy spirit from me. And so David understands that it was really important that he had the Spirit of God. So please don't take him. Why did he understand that? What was his thought pattern? We'll come back to that, okay? Some of the prophets, and you're going to have several of them, that are specifically identified as they have the Spirit come upon them or they're filled with the, with the Spirit. So the, the conclusion with those multiple different references is that the Spirit of God did come upon certain people, certain groups of people, certain elements of of those in the Old Testament, but not all of the Jews. He didn't come upon all of the Jews. He was upon some, a select few. In fact, I know this is a fact because of what Moses says. In Moses' chapter, in Moses in Numbers, is it, 11, uh, Joshua comes to Moses and says, Moses, he says that Eldad and Medad, they're still prophesying. And Moses says, that's because the Spirit of God is upon them. And I wish the Spirit of God was upon all of Israel, but it's not. And so Moses identifying for us the fact that the Spirit of God came upon certain people, not all the Jews, but upon certain people. So we know that that's true, that it was selective, not universal ministry of the Spirit of God. Which, by the way, makes it different than today because how many people did Ephesians say are supposed to be filled with the Spirit? All of the believers. Well, in the Old Testament, that wasn't the case. He only came upon a select few. In fact, when he came upon them, they were filled with the Spirit to do a specific job. Whether it be building whether it be administrating as king, whether it be going out and fighting the Philistines, the Spirit of God came upon individuals for a select job, a select activity, and sometimes would leave those individuals when that job was done. And so that was a very important aspect of this filling, that it wasn't permanent, but it was for some type of performance, and it wasn't based upon spiritual character. How do we know that? Who did we identify already that had the filling of the Spirit, but he wasn't really spiritual? Saul? Samson? 
Okay, so it's a different time period, different qualifications, and different benefits that came for those people. None of those who were filled or upon whom the Spirit came were ever individuals praying for the Spirit or told to seek after the Spirit. The closest we have is David praying, don't take the Spirit from me. But there's never an Old Testament command that says you be filled with the Spirit of God. That's New Testament. That's unique in the New Testament from the Old Testament. And so this filling, they were, uh, it's, it's clear it's a little bit different, but I want to I keep on going, showing you some differences. They could lose this filling of the Spirit. They could lose the presence of the Holy Spirit, not just his filling, but even his presence in their life. And as well, when he did go, there was that Two occasions that we pointed out, Samson and Saul, for a moment, they don't even realize the Spirit's gone. And so it's a, it's a different a time. And in the Old Testament, when it talks about the Spirit of God ministering, there's a couple different predictions that were made. One prediction in the Old Testament that said when Messiah would come, he would be given the Spirit without measure. What does that mean? He's given the Spirit without measure. What's that mean? Unlimited. Unlimited is probably the best way. Thanks, Jay. It's just the idea he is given, he is given without any limitations or restrictions. He's got the Spirit of God. And Jesus, when he's ministering, he refers to this prophecy. He talks about in Matthew 12 that the Spirit is given unto me without measure, just like Isaiah had predicted. And so the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit would be different in Messiah's life uh, in, a, in a sense of helping him to do a specific task, which Jesus, then we all understand, he experienced that. The Spirit was leading, the Spirit was guiding, the Spirit led him into the wilderness and at other occasions. Also, there's another prediction given in the Old Testament by the prophet Joel that Peter, he quotes in Acts chapter uh, 2. In Joel, it says that in the last days, the future events, the tribulation period, that end times period, that, or the kingdom period, I should say, excuse me, that the Spirit of God will come upon all of Israel, all of the believers, and he specific, specifically says the young and the old, the men and the ladies, the sons and the daughters, and even the servants. And so Joel wants us to understand there's going to come a time that the Spirit of God will come upon all, and it doesn't make any difference of the gender, it doesn't make any difference of the age, it doesn't make any difference of their position in society. That's an important thought for the Jews that they look back in the Old Testament and it seems like a very select few people and most of them in leadership or you know, in, in a realm of, of you know, people looking up to them that they were the ones given the filling of the Spirit. And he's saying that's not, that's not going to be the way it's going to happen in the future. There is another prediction in the Old Testament about the Spirit that comes from Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And it happens to do with where he talks about the new covenant. That when the Messiah comes, he's going to establish a new covenant. And one of the hallmarks of the new covenant is this. I will put the law within your heart, and I will put the Spirit of God in your heart, and he will teach you all things. That's unique. Now you know how some of this plays out. Because you are hundreds and hundreds of years after the fact that Messiah came, after the fact that Messiah on the, on the night of the Last Supper, what did he institute? 
What did he say? This, he says, this is my body which is broken for you. This is the covenant, the new covenant that I have purchased with my blood. And you know that, which then should key off in your mind, wait a minute, that means a new ministry of the Holy Spirit. A ministry that's going to be within us and something that Jesus even explained in that night that he was with them, that when I leave, I will send you another comforter who will be where? In you for how long? Forever. And so all of this is fulfillment of the Old Testament. But when we come then with this idea of the Old Testament compared to the New Testament, keep in mind that when you read filling in the old and filling in the new, they're not the same thing. They can't be. We've already pointed out that in the Old Testament, the filling was very select. In the New Testament, it's available to every believer. The filling of the Spirit in the Old Testament was never encouraged to seek after, but we are told, be filled with the Spirit. You're supposed to do something to let it happen to you. It is, in the Old Testament, it didn't make any difference about their character if God was enabling them for a task. But in the New Testament, does our character make a difference of the, of the filling of the Spirit? Absolutely. You can quench it. You can grieve it. We'll talk about that a little bit more. And so the, the filling of the Spirit in our day and age is much more, and its purpose is a lot more than just enabling you to do a special task as a leader, a politician, a king, a craftsman. It is in your life available to you all the time every day to help you to live every day for the glory of God as being led by Him. So it's to help you to do service but there's much more that is available and many more benefits than just helping me to serve Jesus in a special task. And that's what I'd like to do this evening is I'd like to just go through the book of Acts and then some epistles and point out to you what are some of the benefits. How did the filling of the Spirit help the believers in the New Testament era? And so this is going to be a grocery list type of a study, but I hope it's, it just whets your appetite to say, I need that filling of the Spirit because of some of those helps, some of those benefits that are portrayed in Scripture. So starting with Acts, and then we're doing the first spot of Acts, is we're in Acts chapter 2. Let's go there, because that's what you're familiar with over the last couple of weeks, is the, the idea of the disciples being able to preach on several occasions in the first part of the book of Acts. We have already read in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, the night of the Last Supper, that Jesus told them, I must leave. Because if I don't leave, this new comforter can't come, this one like me. And when he comes, he's going to help you. He's going to abide with you, in you forever. He's going to help you to, by teaching you all things, bringing all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I've told you. He will guide you into truth. Now watch how that unfolds in Acts. In the book of Acts, Peter is going to be preaching. And right away, we talked about this last week, that in Acts chapter 4, when Peter is preaching before the Sanhedrin, he stands before them in verse 8. He says, you rulers and people of elders of Israel, we, if we this day be examined of a good deed done to an impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known, this is by Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And then in verse 11... He quotes from an Old Testament passage 
that the Jews didn't apply the way that he's applying it. Okay, he's quoting from Psalm 118. And Peter is able to put this together, remembering that Jesus referenced this earlier, and he says to them, this Jesus is the stone which was set aside by the builders, which has become the head of the corner. And he is interpreting, he is applying Old Testament scripture that the Jewish leaders would not have applied to Jesus Christ. But he, Peter, has this understanding, a better insight into the word of God. It just didn't happen there. If you go backwards to his previous message, go back to where he preaches on the day of Pentecost, and you see him doing that where he says in chapter 2, starting with verse 25, for David speaks concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He is on my right hand. I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because you will not leave my soul in hell. And Peter says, now wait a minute, that passage wasn't being preached by David about himself. It is because David's still in the grave. He is speaking about Jesus coming back out of the grave. And so he makes that application that he says, neither will you suffer your holy one to see. You have made known to me the ways of life. You shall make me to know full joy. Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you about of the day of patriarch David that he is both dead, he's buried, his sepulcher is with us. Therefore being a prophet and knowing God had sworn an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to his flesh, he would raise up Christ. And then he goes on, he makes the same type of comment. For he says, later on he says in verse 34, David is ascended not up into heavens, but he said, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. What he's doing is he's interpreting and applying Old Testament passages that the Jews didn't understand. But Peter has a new insight into the Word of God because of the Spirit of God. One of the benefits of having the Spirit of God within us and being yielded, being filled with the Spirit, is you're going to understand Scripture a whole lot better. And so he's talking about, he's explaining those things. And again, we saw it even this morning, how he does it in Acts chapter 4, where he says, this is what happening to us is what God, you had predicted in Psalms 2 how it's being fulfilled. So let me suggest to us, one of the benefits, one of the reasons we want to be filled with the Spirit is we're going to have better understanding, better recall of Scripture. Our minds will be sharper. And, if, and maybe I'm the only one in this room. I need help with Bible study. I need better clarity. I need the Spirit's help. There's another benefit. You're going to be able to proclaim God's Word more effectively. That happens in Acts 2. Acts 2, when they are filled with the Spirit, Peter is preaching. You remember that. And when he's done preaching, what do the people say? They say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, you need to repent, you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And then it says, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and there was added unto them how many people? On 3,000 souls. What enabled Peter, who denied Christ just days before, weeks before, who was afraid because of a little girl, a maiden girl, because of some servants who challenged him, what gave him that ability to stand up in public and to proclaim God's word with effectiveness? He was filled with the Spirit. 
He's filled with the Spirit where all of a sudden, all the believers we read about this morning, they're filled with the Spirit. We read in chapter 4 this morning, verse 31, and look at the results of it. It says in verse 31, when they prayed, the place was shaken. They were all filled with the Spirit, and they spoke what? The Word of God with boldness. Look at the next phrase. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. And it keeps on going. And he says that in verse 14, the believers were the more added to the church multitudes. What was going on here? The filling of the Spirit made them more apt, more able to be able to proclaim God's word effectively with boldness. And I alluded to it this morning. We need boldness. We all need. Think this through. Did they ever pray for opportunity in the New Testament? Was that prayer ever recorded? God, make an opportunity for us to share the gospel. The answer is no. But what do they pray for? Boldness when the opportunities come. When you are doing the miracles, obviously you've prepared hearts. Somebody is going to be receptive if we proclaim because we're seeing the miracles take place which are to confirm this message. So when we see this miracle, it is God saying, green light, preach. That's in that age, that was what was happening. And so they're basically saying, when we see these things happening, help us to have the boldness to take, uh, take the opportunity. So one of the results of the filling of the Spirit is boldness, is effectiveness. We all want that. We all, cl- we all clamor for that. God, help me to be a better witness. Then you need to be filled with the Spirit. So, let me give you another benefit is filling with the Spirit will help you and me to become more compassionate towards other believers around us. We're going to talk about it next Sunday, but notice what happens in verse 31 of chapter 4. They were filled with the Spirit. They speak the Word of God. Verse 32, And the multitude that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that out of the things which they possessed was his own. They had all things in common. This is me. This isn't you. I'm sure it isn't you, but it's me. That sometimes I struggle with charity. Sometimes I don't even know if I should be charitable because I don't know if I'm being taken advantage of. Have you ever run into those cases? Okay. So we struggle. And then, then if I'm not charitable, I feel guilty that maybe I'm just hanging on to my little possessions too much. And then when I hear somebody's need, how will I better understand charity? How will I better be discerning when to be charitable? How can I become more charitable? I suggest to you that this text is saying by the filling of the Spirit. When you are filled with the Spirit, one of the outcomes is going to be there's going to be a greater amount of charity. Now right away then some might think, I don't want to be filled with the Spirit because I don't want to be charitable. Well that shows you a heart. And that's where I'm sure none of you are at. You are probably, I think, I hope I want to say we're all normal and that I'm like you, that we struggle more with being charitable. We want to be, but we struggle with doing it. Well, the help that the Holy Spirit gives is going to immensely give us the ability, give us the wisdom to be more charitable, to be more loving towards other people, even within the flock. I need that. 
I want that. I need the Spirit's filling. There is another benefit. We talked about it this morning. That as they are dealing with their difficulties and the trials and the threats, they're able to say, Lord, behold their threatenings. Grant unto us our, the boldness. Help us not to flee in troubles. Help us to remain faithful in troubles and trials and persecution. Help us not to collapse under the difficulties. I suggest to you that when they're filled with the Spirit, they're unable to handle the trials much better as seen in that text. To be able to continue to speak, to continue to love, to continue to gather together. Do you need assistance to handle trials? Yes or no? Okay. Do you, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're one of the rare few that when trials come, you've got a down pat. But I would think that most of us, that when trials come, we struggle with not being down flat. You know, and so we need the Spirit of God. Uh, another, another thing that happens, you'll see it. It's an interesting passage. We're going to come to it, but it's going to be probably in you know, 2025 uh, at the rate we're going. But to, so go to chapter 13. Chapter 13. It's an interesting text that, Peter, uh, that Paul is preaching. He's in the city of Paphos. He's preaching the Word of God, and he runs into a guy. And when he runs into this guy, this guy happens to be a sorcerer, somebody dealing with occult. Jump to verse 6 of chapter 13. And when they had gone through the isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew. And his name was what? Do you see it? Verse 6. I'm pausing for two things. I want you to see it, and I want to drink. What does Bar-Jesus mean? Son of Jesus. And so they see this guy, and which was the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus, that's the sorcerer, for so is name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn the deputy away from faith. What, the next phrase. Then Saul, he's what? His name is Paul. But what is the high point here? He's filled with who? What? The Holy Ghost set his eyes on him and said, Oh, full of all subtlety, mischief, you child of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to pervert the right way? Paul was discerning. He had a better discernment to understand who this guy was, what he was up to, what was behind him. And he had this ability to discern better. Can I, can I make the application without stretching Scripture too far? If we are filled with the Spirit, we're going to be better, have better understanding when it comes to the spiritual realm. As well, we'll be better equipped to resist demonic opposition. That's not only in this text, where it's seen, he says, you child of the devil, and he's able then to resist him and get him out of the way. But it is also seen in Ephesians chapter 6 where it all starts back in chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, where is excess? Be filled with the Spirit. And then the next sections is telling how does this filling of the Spirit, what does it do for you? How does it help you? And one of the things that it does in that section is it helps you to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His strengthening. And so it will help us in resisting spiritual attacks. I need that, you need that. Let me give you another benefit. You will be wiser in general. 
in general when we're full of the Spirit. There are several times in the book of Acts it talks about the individuals full of the Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Spirit and wisdom. It's one of the qualifications that we have, that they say, if you're going to choose a leader in the church, you have to pick somebody that it is obvious, that you can see it, that it is demonstrable in some way, shape, or form before the body. Pick out those seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. The Holy Spirit and this wisdom seem to go together. So in that sense that what he's talking about is that you and I, and it goes back to that discerning, having wisdom in how to deal with everyday life. I need to be a better, a wiser husband. I need to be a wiser father. I need to be a wiser granddad. I need to be a wiser worker. I need to be a wiser pastor. I need to be a, a wiser neighbor. So God, how do I get some of this wisdom? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God who will guide into all truth. The Spirit of God who will give me some of that discernment to be able to make good life choices. It helps church leaders to become servant leaders in the church. And that's back to Acts chapter 6 where he says as you're choosing out the deacons in the church, make sure that these individuals are filled with the Spirit. That they are that it is seen in their lives. It is demonstrated. In what way? Good decisions, wise decisions, the way they act. We'll see in a few moments. There obviously it would mean that they're portraying the fruits of the Spirit. And so church leaders, men who are in positions that they are in, in a church position where they have some authority, but they have to be able to serve the body, to be table waiters. How do we maintain that balance? How do we maintain that spirit of serving rather than being served? By the filling of the Spirit of God. So it'll help us in that regard. It'll help us to become better teachers. Descriptions given in Acts chapter 11 where it's talking and it says that Barnabas was a good man full of the spirit and the faith and as he taught in the church of Antioch much people were given, were added to the church. His ministry was enhanced, his teaching abilities by the filling of the spirit. It'll help us to better discern the spirit's leading. You read that in Acts chapter 13 being directed, being sent by the Spirit of God. We read about how they were wondering, should we go to this area or to this area? Go further into Asia and then the Spirit suffered them not to go. And they understood that the Spirit was closing doors. You and I need to have the ability to understand Spirit of God, God what do you have for me in my life? And being able to understand that GPS of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit will enable you to have a much better sensitivity to that. In Acts chapter 6 7. Stephen, being filled with the Spirit, looks up into heaven. He is facing death at that moment. But with the filling of the Spirit, with that, uh, that help of the Spirit, he's better able to face imminent death. Now, I know this is very sobering. This is sombering. To say this idea that for you to face even a life and death situation, we're going to be there. Unless the Lord raptures us, we're going to all face this. How do we make sure that when we are in those last days, we are a blessing, not a burden? We are maintaining a good testimony, not a terrible testimony. The filling of the Spirit enables us to be able to handle even life's great departure. The filling of the Spirit will give us greater comfort, greater peace in our life. This is what Jesus promised. When he says, my peace I live with you, I'm giving you another comforter to help you to do that. The being filled with the Spirit, jump with me to the book of Galatians. 
The book of Galatians is so critical here. When we're talking about that filling of the Spirit, he alludes to it with different terminology. In Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So I want to go that way. Here we are. He says in Galatians 5, I say, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You cannot overcome your sinful carnal flesh without walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, being yielded to the Spirit. There, there are parallel thoughts here. And he goes on, he says, For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to another. You cannot do the things that you would. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're no longer under the law and the works of the flesh that are manifest, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, envying, murders, drunkenness, all the which I've told you before, as I told you, that those who are headed for the kingdom of God shall not inherit the, and do those things, will not inherit the kingdom. But rather, you're going to portray what? Not the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. This complements what he says in Romans chapter 7. In Romans 7, Paul is bemoaning the fact, he says, the things that I would, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do them. And then he makes that comment, that, that comment he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And so he makes it clear, I need help. And he makes some comments in the next few phrases. I thank God through Christ Jesus, so then with the mind, I serve the law of God. But with the flesh, I serve sin. Where do I stand, therefore, with God? He makes the comment, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak, God sending His Son in the likeness of our flesh, He condemned that sin, and that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in me, who walk in us, who walk not after the flesh, but we walk after the Spirit. And he goes on, he says that idea that we are not to be carnally minded, but instead, he says, we're to be walking after the Spirit. And he talks about the Spirit, how it enabled Christ and it blessed Christ. And he says, for if we live after the flesh, you're going to die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of your body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. And he goes on, he says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. We are the children of God. And he goes on, he says, I Reckon, therefore, that these present sufferings and trials, they're just going to, they're, they're here for a time, but eventually it's going to all pass away. But who is going to help me to live this life of righteousness? It's the Holy Spirit. If I walk after the Spirit, if I'm filled with the Spirit, and if I do that, tie it back again to Galatians 5, he says, the fruit of the Spirit not the fruit of Wayne or the fruit of Linda or the fruit of Deb or the fruit of Lou. It's the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And he says, they that are Christ, they have crucified this. And if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And so I look at all these, these different virtues, Christian, Christian activity and attitudes, and I ask myself this question that, as I look at it, which of these can I do without? 
Which one of these do I have enough of? Which one of these do I want to have more of? Now this is me. This may not be you. I want more of all of that. I want to have more goodness. I want to have more peace. I want to have more self-control. I need that every day. When I'm driving through Lebanon, oh, please, let me be kinder. Okay. And so I look and say, I need those things, but they can't happen because of Faith Baptist Church. They can't happen because I've got degrees. They can't happen because you know, I dress a certain way and I work so many hours. That, that's not what's going to make me to have the spiritual fruitfulness. Who is? What is? It's the Spirit. In order to have this in my life, I need to be filled with the Spirit. Literally, I need to yield to the Spirit. I need to be walking the way He wants me to walk, consciously saying, Spirit of God, you take control. You guide my steps. You help me to respond the way you want me to respond. Continuous yieldedness in my life. And then what's the result? I'm going to have more joy. Do you remember in Ephesians chapter 5 where we started here a few moments ago where he's saying, and if you want to turn there, watch the following, the whole text. He says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Immediately right after he says, while speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, he's making it clear that one of the natural results of the filling of the Spirit is more joy. Let me ask you a question. Can you do with more joy in your life? Or are you too happy? And then he goes on and he says, not only will there be joy, but he says, giving thanks always for all things. We're approaching the Thanksgiving season. And we're all going to be thinking this. I want to have a more thankful spirit. I take too many things for granted. I want to be more grateful how do we do that? The filling of the Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, one of the automatic results is going to be there's going to be more joy, there's going to be a more thankful Spirit. So, by the way, don't you wish you could bottle the filling of the Spirit and give it to some Christians who are miserable? And you say, drink this. You need it. Before we do that, let's pause and say, I need it. I need it. Look at some of the other benefits that are there. I will become more other-minded. In the text, he's talking about, okay, what about our relationships? And he deals with the most intimate of relationships. He says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, wives and husbands. And he gets very personal. Well, how do I become more other-minded for other people? Well, it's part of that fruit of the Spirit that the Spirit produces. If I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm going to be thinking better. I'm going to be thinking more about how to be a blessing to my wife. How to be a blessing to you. How to be a blessing to the co-workers. In fact, he even says in the Philippians too, this is the text that he's talking, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he gave himself uh, so as to minister. And in that text, he makes this comment, is there any fellowship in the Spirit? Then esteem others better than yourself. You need the Spirit to help you to be more other-oriented. It'll help you in your marriage. Again, none of us struggle in this room of submission. 
love, forgiveness. But he says, here's your help. It's the filling of the Spirit. We all need help with parenting, of training up the kids. He says this is part of it. We all can do better at our employee-employer relationship. How do we do it? Follow the text. The text, after he says, be filled with the Spirit, he talks about the idea of verse 5, servants be obedient to them that are masters. According to the flesh, he said, and do it with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, whether the boss is there or not. Do you give an honest day's work? He says, not with eye service as a man pleaser, but as a servant of Jesus Christ. How is that going to work out in your life that you are going to be really reliable, really honest, when your flesh says, I'm tired tomorrow morning, and I just don't want to do it just when he, the boss is walking by, being filled with the Spirit. Even if you're an employer, how do you become a better boss? Being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit enables you to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might as you put on the whole armor of God. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness. You're going to go out of this building and you're going to be facing a battle. But you can have victory as you begin with this filling of the Spirit and saying, Spirit of God, I yield I yield to you, even in my home. I yield to you, even in my job. I yield to you, even in my worship. Even in my private thoughts, I yield to you. Even in dealing with those habits that I've created that disgust me and disgust you, but they feel good, I yield them to you. I yield, I yield, I yield. And watch the Spirit produce in you greater lasting results of spirituality, joy, gratitude, love, joy, peace, wisdom, discernment, boldness to witness, more effective ministry, a better parent, a better mate. It's the filling of the Spirit. You need it. I need it. But it's up to us to say, Spirit, I'm yielded or not. Which will you be? Father, help us this week to look and say, I want this stuff, so much so that I am willing to surrender. And help us to stay surrendered. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'll pick up with this study next week.